playoff committee reveals their first rankings of the season, a wild NFL week eight, and we take a look at the top MVP contenders in the NFL. The Valley Sports Talk begins right now. What's going on, everybody? Welcome into another edition of the LaValley Sports Talk Podcast, brought to you by the Soundline Network. As always, I'm your host, Chris LaValley. Hope you all are doing well and staying safe. Let's kick it off. Let's talk a little college football as per usual. So, Michigan State downed Michigan 37-33 to on Saturday. I was wrong about rooting for Jim Harbaugh in Michigan once again. Harbaugh has let me down. I've got to quit Michigan uh, because they're just going to keep breaking my heart year after year after year. Harbaugh and his coaching staff blew this game with their play calling. They were up 30-16 to at halftime. It just, I, I don't know what else to say about, about Michigan, about Harbaugh's coaching. I, I still love the guy. I think he's a great coach. But he can't, be, he can't beat his rivals. He can't beat Michigan State. He can't beat Ohio State. As far as I'm concerned, he's kind of a lame duck coach at Michigan. It's just not working. It's not working in Michigan anymore. I think Michigan would be... I know he just resigned last year for a new for an extension. I honestly think he and Michigan would would be best served kind of moving on from each other. You know, look, unless Michigan unless they still have to play Ohio State this season, unless they can beat Ohio State, which I don't think is going to happen. I I just I, I don't know how you can keep you can keep this marriage. It's just not working. It's just not working anymore. You when you're up again, when you're up by two scores two scores in the third quarter and you blow the game it's just it's hard for me to take you seriously anymore it's just it's just not meant to be i don't know what else to say you got to give major credit to michigan state though as as i just spent the last 2 minutes talking about michigan michigan state played a hell of a ball game michigan state is is a really really good team they're a much better team than i gave them credit for and they're undefeated i mean they're they're the only big 10 the top big 10 team that's undefeated so all, all credit to them. Their coach has been tremendous. The, the recruiting that they've done has been awesome. And the running back, Kenneth Walker, I believe is the odds-on favorite to win the Heisman Trophy. So Michigan State's got everything going for them, and unfortunately Michigan is just going in the wrong direction. The other game I want to recap real quick, Georgia embarrassed Florida 34-7. Georgia is really, really, really good. Now, I didn't bring this game up last week because I assumed what happened would happen, which is that Georgia would kick the crap out of Florida. However, I had read and I heard all week how Florida was talented enough to give Georgia fits on defense and that no one was really sold on Georgia. Now, I understand being skeptical of Georgia because I've said, I said it before the season that Georgia is always the bridesmaid and never the bride. And everyone was talking about how Florida's got that type of offensive firepower that they could really give Georgia's defense some issues and, you know, maybe somehow. If Florida kept the game close late, they could pull ahead and, and outmatch Georgia. But, I, look, Georgia's just too damn good, man. And this has been a weird year in college football. I, I think it's fair to say that, I mean, you look at you look at teams that are undefeated right now. You look at a team like Wake Forest and teams like Cincinnati that have just come out of nowhere and have been great all season. Then you have teams like Clemson and North Carolina and Texas who preseason everyone thought were going to be contending for a playoff spot. And they're not even in the top 25. So the fact that Georgia is is, has been holding on strong this entire season, I think, is emblematic of how crazy this college football season has been. But 
you really got to start. We, we, we all need to be sitting back here, those of us who are college football fans, and understand how good this Georgia team really is. Now, we'll figure we'll, we'll find out how great they are when they have to play Alabama in the SEC title game in a few weeks. I mean, that's going to tell us everything. If Georgia is able to, and I think that that's where that whole bridesmaid over the bride thing is really going to come into play. Because that's the type of game Georgia always loses. If Georgia is able to overcome their demons and, and beat Alabama, I believe that will be the biggest story in college football because at that point in time, Alabama would have two losses and they would 100% be out of the college football playoff for the first time in years. Alabama will actually miss an opportunity to to win uh, to play and or win for uh, win a national title. So that would just be a huge, huge deal. Speaking of which, let's get right into the committee released their first college football rankings. So their top four teams, and I, I, I'm already going to say I have to give them credit they have Georgia one at eight and zero. Number two is Alabama at seven and one. Three Michigan State at eight and zero. And four they put Oregon in at seven and one. I said last week that I didn't. I thought the committee was going to be stupid and they were going to take Ohio State over Oregon. They did not. They put Oregon in at four, which I think is massive for the Pac-12. This is huge. If or, what this means is that if Oregon wins out. They win out. They win the Pac-12 championship. Oregon is going to be in the, the college football playoff. What that also tells me is that, if again, if Alabama loses against Georgia, they're 100% done because you won't have a two-loss team here. Now, if Georgia loses, that's where things are going to get interesting. If Bama beats Georgia, I think... There's no, there's no guarantee of this, but I think Georgia would still have a shot at still being in because it's going to be kind of hard for the committee to be able to say, well, you lost to the number two because the one, two, Matt, the, the Georgia, Alabama thing, that's not going to change until the SEC title game. So them being one, two is not going to change at all. As long as they continue to win up until the SEC title game, they're going to stay at one, two. It's going to be kind of hard for the committee though, to say, well, you lost to the second ranked team. You were the number one ranked team. You lost to the second ranked team. Now you're out of the college football playoff. I just don't think that's going to happen. Where they place them at the, at the end of the day, if Georgia does lose the SEC title game, they'd probably put them at three because they'd move Alabama up to one at that point. More than likely, they would move them up to one. They would put Georgia at three so this way they wouldn't face off each other. They wouldn't put them at four because then you would have a rematch of the SEC title game in the first round of the playoff. They're not going to want that. Michigan State going third, I think, is great. They're 8-0. You can make the argument that Michigan State should be second because they're undefeated, but let's be real. Both Georgia and Alabama are better than Michigan State, and I don't even believe Michigan State is going to be there when it's all said and done anyway. I, I don't think they're going to beat Ohio State. I, I just don't. I, I would love for them to do it. Again, I'm, I've said before, I'm tired of Ohio State. I'd love to see any team beat Ohio State, so Ohio State's not in this in this playoff when it's all said and done, but I don't think Michigan State's going to be there. This is where it's interesting. They put Cincinnati at six. Cincinnati's undefeated. Again, they're they're in the ACC. I told you all a few weeks ago that Cincinnati, regardless of whether they're undefeated or not, is not going to make the playoffs. They're just not. And the fact that they're undefeated now and they put them at six. They didn't put them at five. They put them at six. And there there's a – I understand you only, only the top four teams get in, but there's a big gap between being put fifth and being put sixth. What that tells you is that the committee just doesn't respect Cincinnati's schedule. They don't respect their the their conference. And 
frankly, why would you? The two best teams in that conference coming into the season, UNC and Clemson, aren't even remotely close to, to, to being a top 25 program this season. Not even close. So then you have, so you had a weak conference. You have a Cincinnati team that's coming out of nowhere. You have a Wake Forest team also that's coming out of nowhere. But neither one of those teams are, are necessarily dangerous teams. They're not, no one, realistically speaking, do you, anyone who's watched any college football, do you really honestly believe Cincinnati belongs in the college football playoff? Because I don't. So I don't blame the committee for doing it for once. I'm actually agreeing with the committee. I, I don't disagree with them for doing it, but I just think people need to get, wrap their heads around the fact that although Cincinnati is undefeated and although they have beaten, they, they have one good win. They do. They have one good win. They beat Notre Dame. I also think Notre Dame's overrated. So there's that too. I think Notre Dame, Notre Dame to me is one of the most overrated programs in college football every single year. Because like I said, they've made it into the college football playoff in the past and they get blown out every time. So I don't really evaluate Notre Dame as a as a top 10 program like everybody else does. I think they're like top 15 because to me there's no they're they're not a threat when it comes to a big a big game, a, a playoff game. They're not a threat because every time they get the opportunity, they shit their pants. So Cincinnati, while it's a good it's a solid win because Notre Dame is ranked in the top 10, I just I just don't buy into it. So anyway, the top four again are Georgia, Alabama, Michigan State, and Oregon. We'll see what happens moving forward. Like I said, I don't believe Georgia and Alabama will move from those top two spots until the end of the season. Michigan State and Oregon, that could fluctuate. Again, Oregon's got to win out, but if they do win out, they'll definitely be in. Michigan State, again, they also would have to win out. If they don't win out, Ohio State will very likely be in as the Big Ten representation. Week eight was a very interesting week in the NFL. There was a lot of a lot of surprises, a lot of backup quarterbacks that were winning games that no one ever thought they would ever win, and uh, some outcomes that I definitely didn't see coming. So let's kick it off here. Patriots beat the Chargers twenty-seven to twenty-four. Mac Jones was eighteen of thirty-five for two hundred and eighteen yards. Justin Herbert eighteen of thirty-five, two hundred and twenty-three yards, two touchdowns, two picks, including a pick six. This is the second game in the row now that the Chargers looked flat on offense. Herbert couldn't get a rhythm going with any of his top receivers. There were a ton of missed opportunities by the Chargers in this football game. I Look, man, I, I still buy into Justin Herbert. Everyone's already selling their stock on Herbert. You guys are crazy. He's had two bad games out of coming off of jumping out of the season on fire. I think Justin Herbert's out of the MVP conversation, that's for sure. He's not He's not going to be in the MVP conversation, I don't think, for the rest of the season unless he lights the world on fire the rest of the way. But I'm, I'm not selling my Justin Herbert stock, so you guys can stop bugging me about that. This, to me, this, this game, to me, says more about the Patriots than it says about the Chargers. The Patriots' defense played great. I understand the Chargers scored 24 points, but... They gave Herbert fits all game long. There was not an entire a single series in that game where Justin Herbert looked comfortable out there. Like I've watched a lot of Chargers games this season, hence obviously my love for Justin Herbert. Watched a lot of games. Herbert, there is a the past two weeks against Baltimore and against New England, he just did not look comfortable in either one of those football games, but specifically against New England. Bill Belichick schemed up one hell of a game. There was never a, a, a time where I felt confident that Herbert was going to go down the field and score when I watched those games. He just, he wasn't in rhythm. He wasn't in rhythm with Mike Williams, Austin Eckler. It didn't matter who it was, Keenan Allen. 
he just couldn't, it, it just, it wasn't working. It, whatever it was, it just wasn't there. Mac Jones, again, I've said it before, I couldn't be more wrong about a quarterback. This dude is going to be the dude for New England. He is so damn good out there. I mean, that kid is a, is a mixture between a game manager and he's going to be a prolific quarterback in a couple of years. I mean, I, I really do think you're looking at top six, top seven potential here with Mac Jones. I'm not going to say top five because there's a lot of competition for a top five quarterback spot in, in the coming years. But Mac Jones, man, he continues to show a poise and maturity game after game after game. And here's another thing, too. And, and I was listening to Ryan Rosillo's podcast this week. And he talked about how, if you think about it, the Patriots really could be seven and one or six and two. And obviously, whenever people do that, if, if you really like a team, you're going to find excuses for why they could have won a game. If you don't like a team, you're going to look at excuses for why they, they should have lost, right? But think about, think about the Patriots' schedule and think about the teams that they've played and, and how those games have unfolded. They probably should have beat Miami in week one, all right? The Cowboys game came down to the wire. They should have beat Tampa Bay if it wasn't for a missed field goal at the end of the game. So that's three games right there. That's three potential wins. And as it stands right now, I mean, they're not, they're not that far of an outlier for, for a playoff spot. If you, look at the, if you look at their season the rest of the way, they've got to play the Panthers this coming week. That's very likely a win. They play the Browns the following week. I think the Patriots can win that game. They play the Falcons. That's a win. Tennessee, now that they lost Derrick Henry, that could be a win. They have to play the Bills. I think the Bills get the better of them. They have to play the Colts. They're a better team than the Colts, as much as I hate to admit that. And then they play the Bills again. Again, I, that I, I'm going to go with the Bills. Then they play the Jaguars and the Dolphins. So the Patriots are not out of it. They are not out of the wild card at all. They're 4-4 four and four right now. I mean, this team could easily win 10 games, maybe 11, and be in that wild card spot. So New England is, is well on the way. For everyone who's writing off New England... I would take a step step back, take a look at that schedule, and reevaluate. Saints upset the Buccaneers 36-27. Tom Brady, 28-40 for 375 yards, four touchdowns, two picks, including a pick six that sealed the game for the Saints. Trevor Simeon, 16-29 of 29 for 159 yards and one touchdown. Bucs should have won this game with ease. Brady had three turnovers. Saints scored 16 points off those turnovers. Look, Brady just didn't have it, man. He did not have it in this game. I don't know what it is about the New Orleans Saints that haunts Tom Brady. Uh, there's something there because they Brady plays his worst games, or at least he has over the last two seasons against New Orleans. And the Bucs were down at halftime and they never recovered. And I'm sorry, but this makes me rethink the Bucs returning to the Super Bowl. You know, I, I understand it's one game, but watching the way Brady played in this game makes me makes me wonder what it is. I, it be, look, they could have to play the Saints in the playoffs. The Saints could be a wild card team. I actually think they are going to end up being a wild card team. Even even though they lost Jameis Winston, I still think, especially if they go get Cam Newton or they go get Phillip Rivers, which there's a rumor out there for that to happen, the Saints have enough offensive firepower where they could win with Cam Newton. I don't Phillip Rivers is a little iffy for me, but I think if they went and got Cam Newton, Saints are easily a playoff team because I still buy into Cam Newton. I think Cam Newton can do enough with that roster. I mean, look at how good Jameis Winston was playing, for Christ's sakes. If Jameis Winston can make that roster look pretty or look good with that roster, Cam Newton can certainly do the same. 
Winston, speaking of Winston, he went out in the second quarter with a season-ending knee injury. He tore both his ACL and MCL, I believe, or sprained one and tore the other. So his season's done. Trevor Simeon came in, and he looked awful. I know they won the football game. I know Simeon had 100, you know, he 159 yards, one pick. He threw two picks in that game uh, that both got called back because of penalties. Simeon looks off. I mean, I, I've never watched a backup quarterback look so bad. I was watching that game, sitting there going, how the hell did the Saints not have a better backup quarterback? How can you not? I mean, how can Sean Payton not find a better backup out there? I mean, you you could have went out there. You could have gone after Jacoby Brissett this past season. You could have gone after Marcus Mariota. There are plenty of other backups out there that you could have gotten. I mean, for Christ's sakes, Nick Foles would have been a better option than Trevor Simeon. Simeon's terrible. I, I like it. It blows my mind how bad Trevor Simeon is. The Saints' defense was the reason why the why the Saints won that football game. They're spectacular all game, forcing those three turnovers. Uh, they're the, again, they're the they are the MVPs of this football game. And if the Saints can get, like I said, if the Saints can get competent at quarterback. The Saints is, is easily this Saints team is easily with that defense and with Alvin Kamara and all the other weapons that that are there on that offense. It, Saints are a wild card team, I, and I can't believe I'm saying that because I wrote the Saints off preseason. I I was like this team sucks, they got nothing, and I wasn't expecting the, their defense to be like a top five defense, which they are. So the Saints are very very well on their way to making the postseason, and this is a huge win for them against the Buccaneers. I mean, it puts it puts a little pressure. It, it does. I mean, do I think the Bucks are easily going to make the playoffs? Yeah, because their schedule is a joke. But puts a little bit of pressure there. And again, if, if the Saints get incompetent at quarterback, they're going to be pretty damn good. Cowboys shocked the Vikings on Sunday Night Football 20-16. to 16, And they shocked them because they named Dak Prescott. Cooper Rush, 24-40 for 325 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. I'm sorry I'm laughing because Cooper Rush is Cooper Rush. Kirk Cousins, 23-35 for 184 yards and a touchdown. Cooper Rush showed the NFL viewing public something special Sunday night. Dude got some ice water in his veins. Look, I have trashed Cooper Rush forever. I used to say, I don't know who the hell Cooper Rush is. How the hell don't the Cowboys have a better backup quarterback? They have Cooper Rush. Who the hell's that? Not only did he play well, but he threw the game-winning touchdown pass to Amari Cooper to win a game that no one believed the Cowboys had any business winning. No one was picking the Cowboys in this game, me being one of them. As soon as I found out Prescott was out, I was like, Pfft. This Vikings team is way too good. They are way too good. They're too offensively potent. There's no way that the Cowboys have a shot winning with Cooper Rush. The Vikings suck. I, like, I don't know what else to say. The Vikings suck. Zimmer should be fired immediately. He shouldn't have even made it out of that game. They should have fired him at, on the spot. They looked lifeless on offense, and they shouldn't. they should never look that lifeless given all their talent. You know, everyone's on Kirk Cousins. They're trashing Cousins. Cousins can't do it all, folks. You know, like you can you can give me the whole Kirk Cousins is is sub five hundred in primetime games. Yeah, whatever. I don't care. I don't care about that. I do, I'm sorry, I don't. I don't care about his primetime game stats. Kirk Cousins has been good all season long. He's thrown for two thousand yards. He's got fourteen touchdowns and two picks. He's not the reason why the Vikings suck. Okay. Again, he can only do so much. You can put a lot on your quarterback. You can blame your quarterback for all you want. And again, I've gotten off the Kirk Cousins train. I, I said it preseason when I did my quarterback tiers. I, I've, I've gotten myself off the Kirk Cousins train. I used to be waving pom-poms for that dude for a while. But 
but you cannot blame him for every every time it's 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 like clockwork the sports media as soon as the vikings lose a game it's kirk cousins fault well i'm sorry the guy's thrown again for 14 touchdowns and two interceptions he's not turning the ball over it's not his fault the vikings are lifeless man that aside from being great look they've got great fantasy talent if you can get either Jefferson or Thielen on your fantasy team or Dalvin Cook, you're in great shape because they put up fantasy stats all over the place. They just can't win ball games. And that comes back to the coach. Zimmer needs to go. They need some fresh blood in that locker room. They need to figure it out. I've said before, the, the, the other problem too is Zimmer doesn't like Kirk Cousins. He's never liked Kirk Cousins. So you've had a head coach who's had it out for their starting quarterback since day one. Remember when, uh, what the hell's his face? Fisher. When Fisher was the head coach for the Tennessee Titans and he had it out for Vince Young from day one. Day one, he didn't want Vince Young. And even though Vince Young was winning ball games for them, was putting up decent numbers, you could just tell. You could tell that the Titans were never as good as they could have been because there was that, that, that rift between the quarterback and the head coach. And I think the Vikings are in the same boat. They have a, they have a head coach who is a, a defensive coach who, for whatever reason, does not have the respect for his, for his quarterback, who, again, is playing really well this season and realistically has played really well the past couple seasons. If you look at his stats, you look at his stats, you look at what, he, what his QBR has been, He's not the reason why the Vikings haven't haven't done anything the past few years. Again, it comes back to coaching. The Vikings need to move on from Mike Zimmer. Now to the game that broke my heart. Titans beat the Colts in overtime, 34-31. Ryan Tannehill, 23-35 for 265 yards, three touchdowns, two picks. Carson Wentz, 27-51 for 231 yards, three touchdowns, two interceptions. I'm going to praise the Titans. I'm going to get that out of the way first. And then I'm going to come back around and talk about the Colts. Look, man, the Titans played a hell of a game. They came back and showed some real guts in the game that they didn't they didn't need to win this game, but clearly they wanted to make a statement. The loss of Henry, though, is devastating. Uh, losing Henry all but, even if they make the playoffs by default, they're, they're not going anywhere. Unless Ryan Tannehill is, is a much better quarterback than we all think he is, I'm sorry, the, the Titans aren't going anywhere. They, they could win... The division, the, the the AFC South is a joke of a division. I'll be the first one to admit it. They've become the new NFC East. They're just, they're, it's not a good division. The Titans, like I said, could win by default. They're going to be bounced out in the first round of the playoffs, no question. Absolutely no question. Unless the team that they play has also suffers some sort of devastating injury. It's just, the Titans to me are a lame duck team that, while they may win a couple ball games, and again, they may make the playoffs by default. Without Derrick Henry, they're just not the same team. Okay, I'm moving on. I feel like I'm dealing with my Yankees all over again here when I talk about the Colts. The Colts irritate me in so many ways. They should not have lost this ball game. They, it, this loss, for me, hurts more than Baltimore because this was a game at home, and this was a game that we had to have. And the fact that the Titans have lost Derrick Henry for the season makes this game even more upsetting that we lost. Because with if we had won that game, we would have only been, I believe, a game behind the Titans. And without Derrick Henry, like I said, the Titans aren't the same football team. This was easily, this easily would have been 
the get-right game for the Colts, and the opportunity for the Colts to make a charge to the playoffs. Wentz threw up all over himself in this football game. Okay, He threw one of the worst interceptions at the end of the fourth quarter I have ever seen. And that pick cost us the game. I don't look, man. I am you. Everyone knows I am a Carson Wentz homer. I love the guy. I do. But that was the worst interception I have ever seen in my life. For the time and the moment and the place, I've never seen a pick more devastating. Maybe the the only other interception that I think was worse than that was when Russell Wilson threw the interception in the Super Bowl against the Patriots. That might have been the only other time where I've ever sat there and went, what the fuck were you doing? Look, and and I'm giving the Colts team credit here. They still rallied and were able to to not make that interception cost them and still still get into overtime. I will note that the second pick in OT was not his fault. That was a clear screw up by Pittman, but we should have never been in OT. So it, it doesn't matter. Like I'm not giving Carson Wentz an out because that interception in the fourth quarter cost us the ball game. We had an opportunity to go down the field, kick a field goal or score a touchdown, whatever it may be, and end the game, be done with it, and just just have this, this motivating win that I think would have carried us to the postseason. Even if we didn't do anything in the postseason, we would have gotten there, which to me it, it is what matters, at least for this year for this team. Wentz killed me. I, like that, I, I can't. I can't give him an out. And, and there, frankly, there's no reason to give him an out. That was a terrible, terrible decision. We're now three games back in the division. Realistically speaking, we don't have a shot at catching the, the Titans. Again, the Titans would have to fall flat on their face. And while I don't think the Titans are much of a team without Derrick Henry, I mean, they would have to really, really just die. And the Colts would have to go on an insane winning streak. Now, the Colts schedule the rest of the way is pretty favorable i'm not saying the colts can't do it i'm just saying they're going to need a shitload of help and the titans are going to really really have to fall flat this was just an absolute gun punch just i'm you know it's it's i've got i had all these carson wentz haters that were just blowing up my phone my friends who you know some of them are eagles fans who are just they even even certain individuals who won't admit that they hate carson wentz hate carson wentz and then I have other people who are Cowboys fans who just hate Carson Wentz because they're it's the whole Dak Prescott versus Carson Wentz thing, and they just like to keep rubbing it in my face that I was wrong about that debate, which is fair, and they have every right to to do that. I just that they were the last people I wanted to hear from, um, and and rightfully so. I, I had to eat crow because I have been the Carson Wentz dude for a long, long time. Um, but yeah, I mean that game just absolute gut punch for me. I'm devastated uh, about that loss. And I'm devastated that it was it, it came at the hands of Carson Wentz. I don't know what else to say. You know, he just he has played so well this season, and then up to this point, he just threw up all over himself. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what else to say at this point. <laughs> All right, so let's get to some other news and notes. Josh Allen continues to bolster his MVP odds. He had two touchdowns passing, one touchdown rushing, zero turnovers in a 26-11 win over Miami. Miami sucks. The Bills sweep the season series against their division rival. Aaron Rodgers finds a way to win without his star wide receiver or tight end on Thursday Night Football last week. 
11 starters out for Green Bay did not slow down Aaron Rodgers. Dude just keeps winning football games. Last seven weeks, Aaron Rodgers has 17 touchdowns and only one turnover. Murray didn't play great in this football game. He had two interceptions and zero touchdown passes. A.J. Green cost the Cardinals in the end with a boneheaded play. He looked like he was playing for the Bengals, not for the Cardinals in that game. Both the Cardinals and the Packers look to be two of the top three teams in the NFC. I mean, I, I, I don't... The Cardinals should have won this game, okay? So let me just put that out there. While the Packers did win the game, Rodgers played decent. I'm not saying he played spectacular. I mean, given the fact that Green Bay won the game without Demonte Adams and without, I can't think of the tight end's name for the life of me right now, but his last name starts with a G. Um, that I mean, it's a big win for the Packers, but I still think the Cardinals are easily a top three team in the NFC. The other team is, the top team is the Rams, who they continue to roll as they dominated the Texans 38-22. to Rams are still my pick to be the best team in the NFC. I said that I believe they were going to not only make the Super Bowl, but win the Super Bowl. And we're going to touch on the trade that they just made uh, momentarily, which I think bolsters their chances to win the Super Bowl. Stafford is in MVP form, throwing for over 300 yards and three touchdowns. And to be frank, they've had an easy schedule as of late. There's no question about it, but they're dominating the weaker competition, very much like the Buffalo Bills dominated the weaker competition in the AFC earlier on this season. So far, the past few weeks, the Rams have throttled every single team that they've played who is a weak opponent, which just tells me that the Rams are as good as advertised. The Bengals embarrassed themselves against the Jets, losing 34-31. Burrow, 259 yards, three touchdowns, and a pick. The great and incredible backup quarterback, Mike White, 405 yards, three touchdowns, two interceptions. This is an embarrassing loss for the Bengals. They certainly fell back to earth after an incredible performance last week. But my words, you have to give credit to Mike White, who played the best game by far by a Jets quarterback this season and easily the best game by a backup quarterback so far this season. I don't think there's a question about it. Given the fact that the Jets literally have no talent on offense, the fact that this dude was able to pass for 405 yards, throw for three touchdowns, I understand through two picks, but still 405 yards, three touchdowns and beat at the time the top team in the AFC record record wise. I mean, that's that's awesome. And I can't believe I'm actually talking about this freaking team on my podcast, but I have to. The Eagles decimated the Lions 44-6. to And again, I don't usually talk about the Eagles on this podcast for many reasons, but I have to give them props this week because they were up 44-0 at one point, and the Lions were able to score a measly six points in this game. They were flawless against the, this, this Lions team. I still don't buy Hurt as a legitimate starting quarterback, but they've won three games so far this season, and I predicted that they wouldn't win more than four, and I hope that that's the case because if they win more than four games, your boy is going to be wearing some Daisy Dukes for his, for his friends. And yes, that was a bet that I made. Um, it's nice to see that the head coach finally got his head out of his ass and started running the ball with Scott and Howard. Both players are extremely talented and criminally underutilized in this offense. I, it, their running game is nasty, and I'm, I'm hoping that uh, Sirianni finally figured out that he's got one of the best one-two punches at running back, and if he actually uses that, utilized them. The, the Eagles could win probably six, seven, eight games, uh, unfortunately, for my uh, betting odds here. Anyway, the Lions quit on themselves, and they quit on their coach, which is shameful, absolutely shameful. And just a quick side note, which I think is very interesting, and I heard this on another podcast the other day, Jared Goff has never won a game without Sean McVay. That's right. Jared Goff has never won a game without Sean McVay. It's kind of similar to how Nick Foles can't win without being in Philadelphia. Jared Goff is kind of in the same boat. 
And then finally, I talked about the the massive trade that the Rams made, and that was they got Von Miller from the Denver Broncos for uh, two picks in for 2022. Their second and their third round picks in 2022 have gone to Denver, and they get Von Miller. Now, Von Miller is not the Von Miller of old, but he's playing with Aaron Darnold. So just that defense is disgusting at this point. It's unbelievable. You have Sue, Darnold, and Von Miller. I mean, I, I, I don't know how you can't sit back and just marvel at what the Rams are doing. And good for the Rams. All right, I'm, I'm, I want to give the Rams credit. Everyone's like, oh my God, look, they have no draft picks over the next couple of years. Who the hell cares? They're, they're in win-now mode. They're in it for this year and next year. So, look, if they, if they come up small or they come up short and they don't, they don't win the Super Bowl the next couple of years, then okay, fine. You can bash them. You can bash them for their decision-making. But... The fact that they're all in and they're doing everything they can to win now, you got to give them credit for that. If you're in, if you have the ability to win now, you do it. You, you put all your cards on the table because there, you, you aren't guaranteed next season. You're guaranteed right now. And I think that the Rams right now are the best team in football. They have the best defense now, easily the best defense in football. And they have arguably the best quarterback playing right now in Matt Stafford. I don't know. I don't. And and Sean McVay, who I have given, I have kind of pushed back against Sean McVay a few times. Sean McVay clearly has his quarterback, has what he's looking for. I don't know how you can count the the Rams out of not being the best team in the NFL. All right. So my picks last week were Brew. I was one and three last week. I'm sixteen and sixteen on the season. Hopefully, I will do a little bit better for you this week. Let's kick it off. So I've got four games, Packers at Chiefs, Titans at Rams, Browns at Bengals, and Texans at Dolphins. Packers at Chiefs, for me, is the game of the week. Packers are two-and-a-half-point underdog at Kansas City. Take the Packers. My word, take the Packers. This is, this is to me, this is easy money. Take the Packers. Packers are going to win this game with ease. Titans at Rams. Rams are a seven-and-a-half-point favorite. I, look, I've already told you. That, and I actually think this line is probably going to move even more as we move towards Sunday. Without Derrick Henry, Titans have no shot. Easily take the Rams here. Um, I know seven and a half is a lot of points, but I would I would easily take the Rams with seven. And a half. I, I think the Rams will win by double digits with ease. Browns at Bengals. Bengals are a two and a half point favorite at home against the Browns. Take the Bengals. Take the Bengals. The Browns are are nothing. Um, and real quick, I give Richo a shout out. He said preseason that the browns would not make the playoffs that they would be the worst team in the afc north and god damn it the dude might be right because the browns are just not there they're i understand they've had some injuries now they've got the drama with obj which by the way i just want to pat myself on the back again obj sucks okay that dude is a locker room cancer he's as bad if not you know he's worse than to because he doesn't have to's talent obj has got to be one of the worst players and teammates ever in the nfl i mean that dude's just he said like think back on obj's career for a second for me real quick that dude had one spectacular catch against dallas on a sunday night football game and everybody just decided at that point in time after that one catch that he was the best wide receiver in football he has not lived up to the billing at all ever 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 so for all those people out there who want to keep trying to give obj chances you're just foolish, man. The dude, the dude is just a, he sucks. Texans at Dolphins. 
Texans are a seven-point underdog against the Dolphins. Take the Texans plus a seven. All right, I, I think this game is going to be closer than people want to give credit for. Look, the Texans suck. Don't get me wrong. And while the Dolphins should win this football game, I think the Texans keep it close. They have a decent offense. And there's been nothing that I've seen from Miami to, to give me any type of hope to think that Miami can keep this by more than a touchdown game. So I would definitely take the Texans plus a seven. So to repeat real quick, I got Packers plus two and a half, Rams minus seven and a half, Bengals minus two and a half, and Texas plus, um, excuse me, the Texans plus seven. <laughs> So it's been a minute since I've actually talked about this dude on this podcast, but uh, Colin Kaepernick has come out with a Netflix documentary uh, talking about how apparently in, in this documentary, he's compared being drafted by the NFL to being a slave. Look, I, I want to give Colin Kaepernick credit for this. And if, it, if he wasn't such a scumbag and just a piece of shit, I would actually respect it a little bit more. This dude is the biggest grifter I think we've seen this century. I mean, the grift that this guy has going is unreal. I mean, think about it. All right, let's. I, I really like to bring this up because this gets fluffed over every time. Do you remember when Colin Kaepernick was actually good in the NFL? Remember how he was a starting quarterback? People like Ron Jaworski and others, Merrill Hodge, a few other people were talking about how Colin Kaepernick, after he had that breakout season, that when he took the 49ers to the Super Bowl, how he was he could potentially be better than Aaron Rodgers. Remember that, right? Well, right after those proclamations came out in, in the preseason, Kaepernick's play like fell off the cliff. He then became the backup quarterback to Blaine Gabbert. Once that happened, and again, this is nice little detail that everybody seems to ignore. All of a sudden, Colin Kaepernick realized that, A, he was going to potentially become just a, a perennial backup because the, the NFL figured him out, figured out his scheme very quickly, and that he just wasn't going to be popular anymore. So then he decided, well, how can I make, how can I, I, I make myself a public figure again? How can I put myself back into the forefront of the media? Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll start kneeling for the national anthem. And then I'll start wearing uh, socks that have cops looking like pigs on them. I'll wear a Fidel Castro t-shirt, clearly showing my ignorance and not understanding anything of what I'm talking about. Oh, and then I'll talk about how I didn't vote in an election because I just didn't, I, I couldn't, I couldn't have been bothered to vote in the 2016 election. So he talks about how there's systemic racism in this country. There are all of these issues in this country, but I'm not actually going to vote to try and fix the inequities that I believe are are part of are part of this country. So the guy's a, a fraud. He's a hypocrite, and he's created this this fake notion that he stands up for social justice. Does he really though? Does does Colin Kaepernick really stand up for social? Does his actions show that he really believes what he states? Because I would say no. What have you said? Where have you seen him in public? Like he has no problem sitting behind a keyboard, putting up his shit on Twitter, putting up his Instagram posts, his Facebook, whatever it may be. Social media, he's up all the time. When was the last time you saw him at a Black Lives Matter rally? When was the last time you saw him at any type of any type of public event talking about how he's working on fighting the inequities by doing X, Y, and Z? He doesn't speak to the media. He doesn't go to the media in any way, shape, or form except to go to sit with GQ and talk about his stupid documentary, which 
I'm bringing it back to you now, which again, he compared the NFL draft to slavery and the NFL to slavery. So he compare he talks, he compares it to slavery in the documentary, but then he sits in this GQ article or in this GQ interview and talks about how he is ready to return to the NFL at any point that he is, um, that, that he works out every day, five or six days a week, f- few hours a day. He's up at like 6 a.m. working out. That he is ready to help a team make the Super Bowl. Why the hell would you sprint back to an organization that you just compared in your documentary to slavery? Why would you go back to that? If that's how the NFL is, if that's what the NFL is, if the NFL is an example of, of w- the worst atrocities that we've ever done as a country, worst atrocities that we've seen across the world, which is slavery, why would you sprint back to that type of organization? Why would you work for a company like that? That doesn't make any sense. And again, this comes back to why he's a fraud. Colin Kaepernick is a fraud, and he has made millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars pushing his bullshit. And people still buy into it. And this is the joke. This is this is the joke of the media. This is the joke of Colin Kaepernick. And and frankly, this is what irritates me more than anything else. Is if you want to talk about the inequities in the system, if you want to push social justice, I am fine with that as long as you put your money and your words to use. I don't see Colin Kaepernick doing that. I've never seen him do that. He has no problem collecting a paycheck and using his his quote-unquote voice to collect paychecks and to make himself extremely wealthy. But what has he actually done? What has he donated? Where's his organization? I don't see anything about a nonprofit that Colin Kaepernick has started up or scholarships that he's created to like go to HBCUs across the country. Where's his philanthropy? Wouldn't that actually be putting your money where your mouth is? Wouldn't that actually be putting action to the words that you spout? And the fact that the media just lets them get away with it just proves to you that they're all in on the con. I, I just, I, it's just, it's so irritating. It's so irritating that people continue to, to trot out Kaepernick as if he's some victim in all of this. He's not. Stop comparing him to Muhammad Ali. You do the same shit with LeBron James. Now you do it with Colin Kaepernick. Give me a break. Colin Kaepernick had the opportunities to get back in the NFL, and he blew every single one of them. He chose not to be in the NFL because he knew that if he went back to the NFL, he would lose all that martyrdom status. He would no longer be considered a martyr, and he would no longer have the platform that he has because he knows he's not that good anymore. He knew he wasn't. You got benched for Blaine fucking Gabbert. Give me a break. And that's the other thing, too, is you can tell that people don't understand the NFL and don't know the NFL when they keep talking about how, oh, well, you know, they, the NFL, you know, they blackballed him. No, they didn't. They gave him opportunities. He chose, he lost the lawsuit. He lost the lawsuit with the NFL. So obviously they didn't blackball him. That's number one. But number two, I, I last thing. There, there are regular media members who don't work in sports media that don't know what the hell they're talking about when it comes to the NFL. But what really, really pisses me off is when you have figures like Stephen A. Smith, Shannon Sharp, Max Kellerman, 
and others who know the ins and outs of the NFL because they cover sports. That's what they do for a living, specifically Shannon Sharp, who played in the NFL, who's a Hall of Famer, who acts like Callan Kaepernick was actually good at the time when he was A, kneeling, and B, when he couldn't get a job again. He was a backup to Blaine Gabbert. The immortal Blaine Gabbert. So if you're backing up Blaine Gabbert, that's like being a backup for Nick Foles, for Christ's sakes. You're clearly not good. So stop pretending like this guy was a top five quarterback and couldn't find a job anymore. He was a backup quarterback in the NFL at the time of his departure. And the NFL did him a favor by trying to bring him back in. They also did it for themselves too because they were getting crushed by the media. Don't get me wrong. But they went out of their way to try and give him tryouts. Teams went out of their way. The Denver Broncos did it. The Seattle Seahawks did it. The Baltimore Ravens did it. He blew every single one of them. The Seahawks offered him a deal. They offered him a contract, as did as did Baltimore. So it wasn't like he wasn't getting opportunities. So stop. Stop with the lie. Stop with the grift. And please, for the love of God, don't watch that documentary. Don't waste your time with the documentary. Don't give, don't give him that pub. He doesn't deserve it. I, I just I, these are the types of people that make me sick. They make money off of lies, off of their own fraud. And that there, there's nothing worse than that in, in this country. There's apt to me, there is nothing worse than making millions and millions of dollars off of a fraud and a con of your own making. All right, so I figured we'd close out the podcast with something a little lighter, a little more fun after I just ranted about Kaepernick. So here we go. So I thought it would be fun to do an MVP race update here. And this is a fluid list. It's going to change week to week. I'm not going to do this every single week, but I, I will start putting this as a last word segment probably every three to four weeks until we get to the end of the season, just because I think it would be interesting to see how each quarterback stacks up as we move on. There isn't going to be any other player but a quarterback who wins an MVP this year. The only chance you had was Derrick Henry. He's out for the season now. So this is what you get. So I've got six quarterbacks that I think are are in play for the MVP. I have three omissions in order. My three omissions as it stands today, Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow, and Justin Herbert. So that would be seven, eight, and nine as far as I'm concerned in, in MVP contention. So in this, in my evaluations, I included who they've beaten along with who they've lost to and their stats. All right, so my five, this isn't in any particular order. I'm going to put them in order in a second, but in no particular order, my my six, excuse me, not my five, my six quarterbacks that I have are Dak Prescott, Josh Allen, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Kyler Murray, and Matt Stafford. So I'll start from the bottom and work my way up. In At sixth place right now, I've got Josh Allen. He's thrown for 65.4% completion percentage, 1,972 yards, 17 touchdowns, three interceptions, 269 yards rushing, and three touchdowns. So far, he's beaten the Dolphins, Washington, the Texans, Chiefs, and Dolphins. He's lost to the Steelers and the Titans. Allen's been phenomenal. Um, I, I think he could continue to move up this list as we move forward. His stats just, they, they're a bit down from last season. Um, and I, 
I believe the Bills have been as good as the Bills have been more for their defense than for their offensive output, which is why I do have Allen a little uh, as low as I do on this list. And number five, I have Dak Prescott. 73.1% 73.1% completion percentage, 1,813 yards, 16 touchdowns, four interceptions. He beat the Chargers, the Eagles, the Panthers, the Giants, and the Patriots. And obviously the Cowboys won without him uh, with the Vikings, and he lost to the Buccaneers. The reason why I have Prescott as low as I do on this list is because the Cowboys were able to beat the Vikings without him. Cooper Rush was able to... They were, if you're able to slot in a backup quarterback and win a game against a good offensive team like the Vikings are, but a good team in prime time, to me, that hurts your MVP. It just does. I mean, I know it's weird, but think about it. If you if Tom Brady wasn't on the Buccaneers and they had to go with their backup, would the Bucs be as good? Would they win games? Probably not. Same thing here with Dak Prescott. Like If you slide in a backup quarterback and they're still able to win and play well, it, it does, to me, it kind of diminishes you a little bit because you do see how talented the Cowboys' offense is. And while Pres- Prescott certainly ratchets them up a little bit, they're still a really, really good team without him. So that's, again, why I have him at five. At four, I have Tom Brady. 67.3% completion percentage, 2,650 yards, 25 touchdowns, and five interceptions. They beat the Cowboys, the Falcons, the Patriots, the Dolphins, the Eagles, and the Bears. And he's lost to the Rams and the Saints. So Brady's lost to, I understand he beat the Cowboys. The Cowboys are a good football team. But outside of the Cowboys, he's lost to all the other good teams he's played. He got slaughtered by the Rams, and he the Saints just embarrassed him. And he threw two picks against the, the Saints. So I have Brady low on this list for a lot of people. I know a lot of people have Tom Brady one or two. But he hasn't beaten anybody. He beat the Cowboys, and he lucked into that win again. He didn't beat the Patriots. The Patriots shut him down. The only reason why the Bucs won that football game is because the Patriots missed a field goal. So, in in all actuality, he's he only beat one one good team in the Cowboys, and the Cowboys nearly won that game. So, it, it's just it's very hard for me to put Tom Brady at the top of the MVP list, like because every, everyone's like, oh my God, look at his numbers. Well, look at his numbers against the good teams versus the bad teams that he's played. He has slaughtered the Falcons, the Dolphins, the Eagles, and the Bears, but he has struggled mightily against the Patriots, the Rams, and the Saints. Those are three good football teams. And so while his numbers are gaudy, sure, they, but to me it's stat padding. He's, he's padding his stats against the really good teams, but he's, straight, he's throwing picks against all the, all the better teams. Excuse me, he's padding his stats against the bad teams, and he's he's. Um, he's throwing picks against the good teams. He's turning the ball over. So it's it, like I said, it's very hard for me to put him in the top three. And number three, Kyler Murray. 72.7% completion percentage, 2,276 yards, 17 touchdowns, seven interceptions, 147 rushing yards, and three touchdowns. He's beaten the Titans, the Vikings, the Jaguars, the Rams, the 49ers, the Browns, and the Texans, and he's lost to the Packers. And frankly, they should have beat the Packers. And Kyler Murray put them in position to beat the Packers if it wasn't for A.J. Green being a moron. So uh, Kyler Murray to me is easily top top three. The seven interceptions is a little hard to swallow for me. It's, that's just, to me, that's a little high as far as, the, as as far as the interceptions go. But, I mean, if if the the Cardinals continue to win games, it's I mean, how, how can you not put him in the top? Kyler Murray is the reason why the, the, the Cardinals are where the Cardinals are. Anybody who's watched this Cardinals team, without Kyler Murray, this team wouldn't be more than a one-to-two win football team right now. They would be hovering around Jets, 
Texans territory without him. He's just that good. At number two, I have Aaron Rodgers. 67.1% completion percentage, 1,894 yards, 17 touchdowns, three interceptions, two rushing touchdowns. He's beaten the Lions, the 49ers, the Steelers, the Bengals, the Bears, Washington, and Arizona. And they got blown out to the Saints in week one. I'm, you know, I, before anyone screams Homer at me, look at the teams that he's beaten. He's beaten the Steelers. The Steelers are, a, are very likely going to be a playoff team. He's beaten the Bengals. The Bengals are a playoff team. And he just beat the Cardinals. The Cardinals were the best team in the NFL. Again, this is a fluid list, folks. So this could move. But think about where the Packers would be without Aaron Rodgers. And again, he beat the Cardinals without his top wide receiver and his top tight end. And they also had 11 people, 11 starters throughout that football team out in that football game. Again, against the best team in the NFL. I'm sorry. Aaron Rodgers is the second best quarterback right now playing right now in the league. I'm sorry. It, it is what it is. I can. I'm. I'm listening right now. I can hear everyone screaming, "Homer! Oh my God! Aaron Rodgers lover." I, you want? If you want to flip like Kyler and Aaron, that's fine with me. I have no problem with that. But Aaron Rodgers is top three quarterback right now in the league. He's ahead of Brady. He's ahead of Allen. And he's ahead of Prescott. I'm sorry. He's been that good this season. Aside again, I told you the stats earlier. Aside from Week One against the Saints, he has only turned the ball over. One time. No other quarterback on this list can say that. One turnover in the past six weeks. That's incredible. And finally, at number one, I have Matt Stafford. Full disclosure, I picked Matt Stafford to win the MVP this season. But look at his stats. 68.9% completion percentage, 2,477 yards, 22 touchdowns, and four interceptions. His wins, Bears, Colts, Bucks. Seahawks, Giants, Lions, and Texans, and they lost to the Arizona Cardinals. Now, his strength of schedule is not as good as the other guys on this list. I will be frank. They've only beaten the Bucks. That's about it as far as good teams. Again, they beat the Bears and the Colts. They're both crappy. The Seahawks, I will give them props for the Seahawks because they, they beat the Seahawks when the Seahawks had Russell Wilson. Um, beating the Giants, well, see, I like the Giants, so there's that. The Lions obviously are terrible. The Texans are awful. And again, they did lose to Arizona. But look, man, Stafford's just been consistent all season. I think he's he's been playing the best quarterback out of anybody. And he's on the best team. They're the best team in the NFL. I, I just I don't see how you can't have Matt Stafford. The other quarterback, though, that I, I need to put in my my emissions list, and I'd actually put him ahead of Justin Herbert right now, is Derek Carr. Derek Carr's another quarterback that needs to at least be given credit. Given all the all the turmoil that's been going on in in Vegas this season, including the, this was another note that I should have said in my news and notes was Henry Ruggs III was arrested for uh, killing somebody uh, in a DUI charge. So he was charged with, they said DUI, I don't remember the the actual charge, but he hit another car. That car burst into flames and and the driver unfortunately passed away due to that car accident so Henry Ruggs III is now out he's done I mean I honestly think he's done in the NFL too um which is it's sad on multiple accounts but it's obviously very sad for the loss of life the Raiders now have more turmoil that they're going to have to go through and they lose a top wide receiver in the process Ruggs III is it was no is no scrub so we'll see what happens with the Raiders moving forward but given what what again what Derek Carr has had to overcome what the Raiders have had to overcome Carr has been damn good this season. He was leading the league in passing, 
before he had the bye week this past week. So I do have to give an omission to to Derek Carr as well. So I would put him, I would put him ahead of Herbert on this list. So again, in order, I've got Matt Stafford, Aaron Rodgers, Kyler Murray, Tom Brady, Dak Prescott, Josh Allen. Those are my top six. And then for my omissions, in order, I have Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow, Derek Carr, and Justin Herbert. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for this week's edition of the podcast. As always, thank you so much for tuning and listening. I greatly appreciate it. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. And that is it. That's all I have for you this week. Hope you all be well. Stay safe. Talk to you all again soon.